This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at bluewirepods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by SDN Sports from Station Casinos. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey. I'm Ben Goats, uh, joined on this uh, luxurious bye week, for me so far anyway, by my two great colleagues, Adam Hill and Dave Shane. Guys, how are we doing on uh, this nice week free of hockey, at least for the Golden Knights, not free of hockey everywhere? I'm, well, I'm doing well. I, I want to find out how Dave is doing after being on just a, uh, what a emotional roller coaster ride of a road trip all over the place. <laughs> Just a, a nice, easy trip, huh? Yeah, yeah. Then Dave got to go down to St. Louis to the All-Star yeah, game. Yeah. Didn't stop. And I probably should have gone out to Ontario for the uh, AHL All-Star yeah. game after the uh, the news that we got out of there. Yeah, St. Louis was St. Louis. I had a little barbecue. Um, got around a little St. bit. St. Louis barbecue overrated, by the way. It was cold. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to call – can I say BS? I call BS on some of the uh, – temperature readings it was colder than it was like 34 allegedly no way no no it was way colder than that but i will say this until green day had its moment it was a it was a just highlight of the weekend normal weekend but that was straight punk i love it did you did you get to see pam that's the real question i did okay i did okay. she's much shorter than i than she's, i thought yeah she's very short yeah. low-key not a good coach either what are we doing pam <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not good behind the bench. No, no. Uh, she's going to be replaced, I believe, and that's kind of a common theme going on around run hockey right now, especially here in Vegas. But yeah, it's uh, not the best work by her. Yeah, it was a uh, interesting all around All Star weekend. Uh, as Dave mentioned, the clear highlight is uh, the real competition was Green Day versus the Sensors, as they constantly dipped, duck, dived, and dodged around uh, the dump button from the booth. Uh, but it was the actual hockey. As fun as it looked, uh, Dave, because uh, it did not look fun. It got better I, a little bit, but it was so obvious that they were just kind of cruising around at like 75%. Like I would have loved to have seen the the um, the puck player tracking and the, the, 
the speed, you know, the miles per hour because it, everybody bad. was cr- really because it just seemed like everybody was probably coasting around at about like 14, 15 miles. Oh, an I hour meant the broadcast. Like, yeah, no, the miles per hour. Okay, not yeah, not great it, until it, you kind of saw like once the money was on the line, it got a little more a little more serious and whatever. But Gary Batman and Bill Daly kind of hinted at a distinct international flavor for next year's. All-Star game, so I don't know if that means the three-on-three is gone, if they're doing some kind of North American versus the world or, or whatever, but it, it, I don't know. I'm not a fan of the three-on-three. It's just – I know it's so artificial. Like, you can't force these guys to care. That's the biggest problem is it just looks like they're just kind of out there having fun, cruising around. Nobody gets hurt. You know, Shea Weber kind of half threw a hit. I think he got credited with the first hit in like 17 years in an all-star game. And it was kind of more like he was just kind of near a guy and the guy kind of fell along the boards or whatever. It wasn't even a hit. And I'm not saying they have to go out and like, you know, full on board each other or something. But it would just be nice if there was a little bit more kind of effort or something i don't I, you what know what about just adding an enforcer to each team it just like that would know. be interesting ryan reeves all-star yes, would that's... be that's the content we need in this day and age <laughs> right. of 2020 uh, before we keep talking about the all-star game then we're going to get into a lot of nights bye week stuff you know where the team is kind of set up heading out of this break what they might do at the trade deadline we'll start kind of recklessly recklessly speculating which we're going to do for probably the next month here uh but first i want to mention that golden age podcast is presented by sdn sports mobile from station casinos obviously we also all work at the rj so make sure to check out all our content at reviewjournal.com we've got a lot of stuff up there this by we can of course like rate subscribe whatever you do to podcasts due to this podcast we appreciate it uh what i also yeah as dave said uh appreciated was you know, they at least tried some new stuff with the All-Star game this year with the enhanced broadcast, just like you can, you know, when you watch the college football playoff, you can do like the coach's room or you can do this like super stat heavy broadcast. They at least gave you the option of doing like the puck in player tracking uh, when you watch the All-Star game. Because of that, I knew that at one point Max Pacioretty fired an 83 mile per hour shot. <laughs> Look at you. That got stopped though, right? That got stopped. Is that really that useful to my like hockey analysis? No. But it's fun. I knew that Connor McDavid at one point had skated basically like a mile on the ice because they flashed up the total distance he had traveled. I also also enjoy it because I've heard, you know, I've gone to a couple of these presentations. I was at a a lot of stuff at CES that was talking about things like this. And, you know, a lot of this talk is it enhances the broadcast, but it's also going to be very beneficial in the betting market. And it really just it, it can possibly be. But I think people are kind of off the mark on what it will actually mean of like I saw people you can have a prop how far a guy's going to skate sure you can nobody's betting that nobody's interested in that really I mean you're it's such a small market of people that would be like into that sort of betting market that it's just it's not going to be a game changer in that way at all but it's just it's a cool thing to like throw out on something like this that's more what it is to to tweet hey that guy was skating this this fast or this guy skated this many you know meters in the in the game like those those things become interesting but that was a solid is, metric system ref by the way yes thank you it is not going to be it's not going to be like a game changer in that way like I, I heard people talking about ces could be yeah so we should also mention a uh, quick off the top max patch ready golden knights alone all-star had two assists in two games uh 
As Dave mentioned earlier, he got stopped by Jordan Bennington on a breakaway. He also didn't score in the save streak competition at the skills event. That was the lone event Max Petretti competed in in the skills competition. Uh, overall, Dave, though, I think what was cool from reading your stuff from there is that Patrick really did seem to have a good time at this event. Obviously, his four sons were all there. There was a lot of great photos of him, you know, bringing his sons on the ice and getting to kind of practice with them at Enterprise Center in St. Louis. So, you know, the stats probably weren't there. I probably would have liked, I'm sure, to have scored on Jordan Bennington there in the opening game for the Pacific Division. But how how overall do you think his time went? Yeah, I think he had a good time. And, and I, I will touch touch on one thing he did score in the final so i'll add that he had the little backhander in there that uh after a turnover in the 5-4 win so he got his cut of the million dollars i'm sure he was stoked about that i kind of asked him and you know kind of smile across his face but i think what was interesting was to see how his enjoyment kind of went on as the weekend kind of went along and you know we talked to him beforehand and i think he was kind of trying to convince himself okay this is going to be cool <laughs> I think, you know, my kids can see it and whatever, but I don't think he fully bought in to the whole thing. I, you know, I mean, I thought he it was like a good honor for him and he was, you know, he wanted to go, but I don't think he was fully invested in it until he saw his kids and until he saw how much fun they had and until he saw just the whole weekend as a whole. I think especially after the game and talking to him and, and I know he did an interview on NHL Network and he was kind of talking a lot about you know, his kids being starstruck and him being able to see the event through their eyes and things like that. And then he even told a quick story about Wayne Gretzky and how Wayne Gretzky said hi to him. And he was like, oh my God, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my <laughs> life. So I th- it's kind of funny because I think Max Pacioretty went from somebody who was, all right, yeah, you know, this is cool. I'll go to, this was really cool. And I'm really glad that I went and it was a phenomenal experience for his family. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was something that, you know, Mark Stone had talked about just before this all happened. He was like, I don't know how thrilled, you know, Max Pacioretty is to be, you know, going necessarily, but his kids are going to love it and that's going to make him love it. And and I think those are the kind of things you don't really understand until you actually go through it because, I, I, I you know, Max Pacioretty was never going to, like, advocate to win that voting and that he got it in a different way, but he was never going to be one of those guys who's like, hey, I really want to win this. Uh, it's not in his personality. I don't think he was that thrilled necessarily uh, to even have that uh, potential. But like you said, as you get closer and as you actually experience it, it becomes different. And it's not really about him. Remember he told the story when he first came here about how into the NHL his his son was and with the with the sheets. The sheets. And was you know, fascinated that the Golden Knights logo wasn't on there. Um, like his kids are definitely into the sport and into the scene, and I think that made it made it better for him. I, there was one scene that was kind of going on that whole weekend because the Chuck, excuse me, the Chucks are from St. Louis, and there was pictures circulating with them with Dad, you know, when they were like five and six at the All Star game and and things like that. And Max Pacioretty actually specifically mentioned that that picture that you know who knows what's going to happen with his kids, who knows if they're going to be in the NHL in fifteen years or something like that. But just to kind of have those moments to to have those pictures to be able to share that in in a similar way, I think that's you know like we just talked about. That's really what what struck with Max Pacioretty. I think that's going to be his biggest takeaway from all this. And and like I said, if he never gets to go again, he's going to always have that. He scored in in one of the games. And, you know, his kids got to basically get autographs from Connor McDavid and Jack (laughs) Eichel and and all of their heroes. Yeah, not too bad. Well, we've probably talked about the All-Star game enough, uh, mentioning that, you know, 
the play was not exactly great. My favorite part was definitely the Green Day performance. But real quick before we switch to another topic, we have to at least kind of mention that the All-Star Game might be something that's coming to Las Vegas within the next couple of years. Uh, Dave, you had a story on this, and I know you kind of talked to Golden Knights owner Bill Foley. So what's kind of the, the haps when it comes to Las Vegas and the All-Star yeah, Game? Yeah, I mean, you know, those things are done – you know, at least a year in advance, they obviously announced Florida this year. I think that was kind of decided, you know, a little while ago and things. So we'll see about 2022. But the biggest takeaway for me was that when Bill Foley was asked about it in April, he was on record as saying he does not want an all-star game, that it's too taxing on the staff. There's too many events and all sorts of things going on that there's just not really, I guess, a, a quote-unquote benefit for the home team. And in talking to him now, he's he's really kind of maybe not completely 180, but you know maybe 165 degree turn on it. Um, in terms of he feels better about just their staff, their business staff, Kerry Bubolts's folks. He's had a little bit more time to establish themselves and, and figure things out. They're exactly. not completely like in this chaos and like you know trying to figure everything out on the fly and, and get it all you know situated. I think that that helps. And by the way. Why fight it? It's happening. Yeah, it's gonna happen. I mean, it's right. gonna it's gonna have to happen. Like, yeah. and and well, the players, to the players probably want it. Yes, right. and I, I was gonna say, and talking 100%. to the players, kind of going around at media day and and saying, hey, what would you think about an all star game in Vegas? I mean, you know, yes, you know, automatic. David Perron was like, do it, do it. you know? <laughs> I mean, it was great to see. Just everybody's reaction was like. Absolutely, I'm in. It would be awesome. It's a million percent going to happen. There's one complicating factor to this, though, and it is the NFL Pro Bowl is going to be here permanently, and that that's the thing that's going to happen uh, sooner rather than later. And you know, weeks like this, it doesn't always happen necessarily, but like this week falls falling at the same time would make it a little bit difficult. Uh, but that is something that is on the horizon. So I think maybe even the NHL might want to race an all-star game here uh, to say, let's get this done before you kind of run out of dates and, and opportunities to have it in Vegas. Right. So like I said, I think the biggest takeaway is just more so that they're on board now. They're, they're, I think, like you said, it's going to, it's inevitable. Right, I think they've kind it. of accepted. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. the one addendum to it though, that I will say is Bill Foley is adamant. He wants a draft. And yeah. he even said, I'll host Seattle's expansion draft here. Like, <laughs> I mean, he is all about the amateur draft. That's that's the, the I guess, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for him. That's what he really wants. And that'll be certainly intriguing. We'll see if any of that stuff happens. But now we're going to move on to talk about what might happen with the Golden Knights, who are, of course, on their bye week currently. We are recording this on a Tuesday morning. They play on a Friday against the Carolina Hurricanes. That's the start of a four-game trip for them as they kind of get back in the swing of things and they got to get back in the swing of things quickly obviously right before they left for their bye they changed coaches now peter DeBoer has replaced jar glant they are one one and one since then uh they have a lot of stuff to figure out as we well know every team does when they make a coaching change uh just really quickly i wanted to touch on uh adam you and i recorded like an emergency podcast and they switched DeBoer and Glant, and one of the things we both said is we were pretty confident that the Knights still had the talent and a run in them where they were going to take the Pacific Division. As I said, they're now 1-1-1 and under Peter DeBoer. They've made some small changes. They'll probably make more changes. I would assume when they come back from this break, they practice that Thursday before playing the Hurricanes. I'm guessing that's going to be a lot of system stuff. Has your opinion changed at all now having watched this team under a new coach for three games? Do you still think the Knights 
are going to take the Pacific Division. I still think that they're that they should be the favorite. I, I still think that they have every opportunity to to get things right and win. And I, you know, I think we're going to talk in a in a minute. I know we are about potentially making moves, and I think that this team is going to be committed to making moves because you don't. You don't make a move like firing a coach that was in the you know, Stanley Cup final two years ago unless you're going to kind of go all in on the season. So I, I think that they're going to do what they can to try to improve the roster. I think they've already got a roster that is capable of winning. Uh, as we move on further and further, you start to, you know, some of the things that you thought were going to get fixed, you're like, okay, I think they're going to get fixed still, and they still haven't. Uh, the goal differential is troubling because they're basically right around even. Uh, on the season, even though the the number the advanced numbers say they should be better than that, uh, as it gets further and further, it's less and less of a small sample size. So it's start you're starting to think maybe this is just what the team is. But I do think they have every possibility uh, of still making a run, and I think they should still be the favorite uh, in this division. It's just getting later and later. And listen, everybody's bunched up; nobody's separating themselves. So that's good for the Golden Knights. But they are there. There is starting to be some time of like, okay, it's not early in the season anymore. It's time to start making a move. They've got a tough schedule ahead of them as well. So there is factors playing against them. But I do still think they're the best team, and they should win. Yeah, the Knights have, of course, thirty games remaining in their season, and where I would definitely agree with you is like the Knights. I think are the most talented team, pretty much by far. I mean, they've got the most experience. A lot of the other teams in the Pacific Division, you look at. Vancouver you look at Edmonton these are young teams that are figuring out how to win and they've stubbed their toe a lot along the way because they're so young and because they have to learn how to bring it night in and night out that shouldn't be a problem for the Knights it has been a problem for the Knights we'll see if it gets fixed these next 30 games but what is really making me pause on those statements I made is what you brought up which is the schedule because I knew it was hard and then I actually Ran a bunch of the numbers here in the bye week because what else am I going to do? Um, they have the ninth hardest I don't schedule. Nap? I don't nap that well. <laughs> I don't. The remaining schedule. They are the ninth hardest remaining schedule uh, in the NHL per NHL.com from now until the end of February. Just four of their 14 games are going to be against opponents with more losses than wins. Their opponents in that stretch have a 59.6 points percentage combined. Basically, that means they're playing the Vancouver Canucks essentially every night from now until the end of February. Do I think the Vancouver Canucks are a great team? No, but they're a very talented team. That's we also have fearsome. said, how many times have, have we said, and, and other people have said, well, Vancouver is probably a team that's going to fade a little bit. You know, they're going to hit a bit of a wall. They're going to fall back. But they're the one team. They're not only sitting in first place now, but they have uh, the best goal differential in the division, uh, I think, by quite a significant margin, actually. So, uh, th- you know, that's a team that you you keep saying, well, well I'm pretty sure they're going to fade, but they just haven't. And so that's when you start to look at, okay, this might happen. And, by the way, you talk about the tough schedule and all the teams that are good on the horizon. I heard somewhere that the Golden Knights have struggled against some of the best teams. I don't remember where that was or who was talking about it. I have heard something about that this season. Though. I have heard that as well. And obviously, <laughs> no matter what you feel about the Vancouver Canucks, it would not be fun to play them night in and night out, especially because, like I said, the Golden Knights begin playing five out of their first six games out of the bye uh, on the road. Dave, I'll turn it to you now. With all that in mind, I guess just what are your thoughts on the state of the team right now? Is this a good team at this point? And how confident can fans be that this team is going to go on something resembling a run in the last 30 games? I mean, for all the reasons you guys kind of laid out, I think there's reason for optimism. 
I'm the negative Nancy, so I'll bring up the negative, I guess, is I, I just feel like at least it's an, it was a small sample size, but a lot of the same problems were kind of popping up, even with Peter DeBoer behind the bench. And what will be interesting to see is once he's able to kind of specifically in, implement his systems. And, and there's a couple things that we've sort of seen already in terms of like the high-low stuff that, that they want to try to do. They're, they're going to try to get to the net more, get to the blue paint and things like that. That's kind of a staple of, of Peter DeBoer teams. We're going to see more of that. I just wonder how much of it's going to kind of take hold, I guess, at this point. Things like the starts. I think I saw a stat they've given up more first period goals than any team in the NHL. Yeah, for uh, all the people that wanted to harp on uh, Gerard Gallant about, uh, as he said, not waving his pom-poms in the locker room before games. Yeah, you change out the coach and that hasn't changed either. They fell, of course, behind 3 nothing in Montreal. So that's a kind of thing that's permeated coaches on this team. It's carried on despite the fact that, you know, They've all said we got a wake-up call with the changing of coaches. Right. The other thing is just the defensemen and and whether it's kind of a patchwork unit and how long can it hold up because, I mean, what, a month and a half ago, two months ago, they they went through a whole change to basically kind of paper over some of the cracks and things like that. I still have questions as far as, you know, is that unit good enough? Now, one of the things we didn't talk about is Nick Hague and the Hager bomb finally exploded in Boston and he finally got his first goal. We'll see if that kind of, you know, unleashes him, I guess, a little bit and maybe boosts his confidence. Can he maybe take another step up in his game? And and how does that maybe affect them, you know, on the back end as as a whole? But I think there's definitely opportunities to upgrade. It's pretty obvious and clear to anybody that's been following things, you know, throughout the winter that the Knights have been linked with a lot of defensemen. They've been, I, I use this phrase in my story that they've been sniffing around defensemen kind of all winter trying to upgrade. They have three pending unrestricted free agents on the blue line, Nick Holden, John Merrill, Derek England. At some point they're going to have to remake that and whether they do that now at the deadline or the, that's a summer project, I guess we'll see. But William Carlson and Cody Glass will probably be coming back, if not right at the start of this road trip, probably shortly thereafter. We'll see how Peter DeBoer kind of, I guess, implements them in the lineup where he sort of sees things. If Cody Glass is back to that third line center, what that does for Stasny and Chandler Stevenson, who who have both played well. Stasny's actually really started to come on. So there's a lot of different things here that, that in the next couple of weeks, I think it can go different ways. And, I think depending on what they see as their biggest issue, who's available and things like that at the deadline, we'll see, I guess, how big of a move they make. Like you said, Adam, you change the coach and you do all this stuff, you're pretty much all in. You're, you're pretty pot committed, I guess, to use the phrase that Ben used also. Woo woo. Um, ben dropping some poker. Yeah. Phrases. I was trying hard. I was I was really, really efforting there. Uh, I want to touch on one more quick thing before we get into reckless trade deadline speculation and talk about you know specifically the blue line and how they can add and how that might affect the group uh this is a team that also just needs saves and that sounds weird to talk about because everyone in that locker room and i think most fans would point to mark andre Fleury as both the best and most important player of the on decade this team. Man. he is the first team goaltender of the decade no offense to Marc Andre Fleury, but I think that kind of speaks to the nature of goaltending and uh, goaltending in the NHL 
he's a really good goalie, but I don't know if he should be the first team all decade goalie. Anyway, stats. He's got stats. It's kind of a compiler, not, you know, didn't peak, wasn't a Vesna finalist ever. Anyway. Edit that out, but <laughs> don't, say, don't say that. People are not going to be happy with you. Anyway, I mean, Flurry, I think, like, you know, I'm not trying to disparage the man. He, I think, is a worthy Hall of Famer. Uh, this season for him is still a below average one by his admittedly lofty standards. He has a 907 save percentage, a 2.86 goals against average. He is not uh, performing kind of at the level that this team needs him to perform at in order to consistently get wins. Like, I think the road trip is a good example. Did I think Marc-Andre Fleury played poorly in a lot of those games? No. Do I think he played at a level where that's how this team is going to win? Also, no. Like, I think of the Buffalo game. Like, he needs to come up with one save there, and then all of a sudden the Knights are in it with a bad team on the road. Instead, you know, Jack Eichel beats some short side. That's also just Jack Eichel making a spectacular play, but you need a save from your Hall of Fame-level goaltender at some point in that game. I think you could say the same thing, like I said, in that Montreal game when they got behind so much so early. And then, to Flurry's credit, he did everything he could late to steal two points for him. But... They just need more. And the same with Malcolm Subban, who once again is getting buried in the doghouse. He has started one of their last 11 games. They are falling into this familiar pattern of we need to play catch up in the standings. So we're going to play our 35-year-old almost every night and play our much younger backup almost never. And that's just a mix that Peter DeBoer is going to have to figure out. How do I get more out of Marc-Andre Fleury? How do I get more out of Malcolm Subban? What's the right mix to play them? That is obviously something that he was also doing in San Jose, admittedly with players worse than Marc-Andre Fleury, but it did not go well in San Jose. So I think that's a big overarching question as the Knights come out of the bye. How do we get better play from our goaltenders? And I feel, and in, in, I'm, I'm sure Dave has more insight on this than me, but I, I just I think one of the things that you point out there is yeah, you want to play Flurry as much as possible because, as you said, you're trying to play catch up in the standings. You want to put your, you know, starter in there, the guy that it was the first team All Decade goaltender. You want to have him in there as much as you can to try to win. But Subban has has shown, I think, pretty clearly that he's much much better when he has more opportunity. When he's in there more consistently, he plays better. And when he's playing once every 10, 11 games, he really seems to struggle. So it does become a very complicated decision. Uh, of how to manage those two goaltenders, especially when neither is necessarily playing out of their minds. Uh, that's a tough situation to manage. And and as you said, this is something that the Boers had to deal with in San Jose with different levels of goaltenders. But uh, it's something that's going to be a lot on him coming up these next couple of weeks, Dave. When we were in Boston and we were kind of asking about Marc-Andre Fleury's suspension and like, is it going to be the Boston game? Is it Carolina? What You know, the day of, when we asked him, you know, well, who's your starter? And he said Flurry, and kind of followed up, you know, does that speak to kind of the importance of this game, I guess? And Peter DeBoer kind of said, well, yeah, we want to play Malcolm at some point. And, you know, he kind of – it was a very lukewarm, I guess, answer. And in, in that regard, I was a little bit surprised. It kind of felt a little bit like, hey, we got to make a run here. We have a Hall of Fame goalie. Like we're gonna have to ride this guy. Unfortunately, it, that it, he didn't explicitly say that, and we'll see. But they're kind of at a point right now where they got to find somebody who gets hot and and go with it because they need points and they need to either establish a, you know a firmer hold on a playoff spot or make a run. You know, get some separation in, in a division that's you know not really 
ha- it doesn't have a team that's that's really kicking it into gear other than Vancouver, I guess. Which what the, like they don't lose at home. Like Vancouver just does not lose at home right now. So it's it's kind of there for the taking. Like I don't know. So I'll shift this a little bit. Like, do you go after Gorgiev if you're the Golden Knights? Like, do you need a goalie? Is that one of your issues at the trade deadline here that you just have to find somebody who's long term better than Malcolm Subban? I, I don't know that there's necessarily a guy there. You could probably make an argument against Gorgiev being that guy. But I'm just if we're gonna be reckless and throw some things out here, like is that on the plate? Is that is that something that they could consider that goaltender is also an area along with defense and maybe third line wing that you have to upgrade? I think it definitely has to be on the table as Adam just a hundred percent mentioned you can't fire your coach and then basically play it safe or just not play at all at the trade deadline I mean firing Jar Glant make no mistake about it was a win now move it was not what you know the devils and the sharks have kind of done earlier this season which is we're not playing well we're just going to be out of it but we just want to move on and see if we can find a guy who could be the next guy right away the nice fire jar glant because they believe that they can make a run at this and i believe that's a hundred percent the mandate from ownership on down is that this team is good enough and has is making enough money where they should be making a run so i don't think anything should necessarily be off the table defense is i think kind of the easiest area to point at and see all right if you could put a guy on your second pair get a top four defenseman that would easily make the most impact but I don't think anything should necessarily be off the table. And so you bring up goaltender, let's touch briefly on what Dave also mentioned there. How likely do we think it is that they do something to their forward group, whether it be third line is the clear weakness on this team's forward group. It's kind of been a black hole for most of the year. They obviously have some guys who can fit in there in terms of you've got a Cody Aiken, Alex Tuck, Cody Glass, Chandler Stevenson kind of all hovering around there when everyone's healthy so how much do you think about adding to that when i don't think when i say all those names that talent is the issue there it's just how you deploy it and how they've deployed it so far this year just has not gotten results in any sort of way i mean if we're talking about third line that's been a problem for three three seasons that's though. true so in that regard i don't think it's just this year and maybe there is some personnel stuff you can look at and maybe there are you know some guys out there that that you can like look at and upgrade I mean I think if we're going to talk about what are they going to do I think it's easier probably more likely I think there's more candidates available on defense than there are at forward I think I think it'd be harder for the Knights to pry away some of these forwards that might be available without having to give away like a, a bigger core piece so like the big one, the home run swing, like I think would be Zucker. He's obviously been kind of linked with the Penguins a lot. That seems to be the the landing spot that everybody seems to mention. But, you know, it was reported by The Athletic in the summer that at least Jonathan Marchessault's name had come up in connection with Zucker. It sounded like that was shot down pretty quickly. But, I, you know, maybe that's something that gets revisited now that Jared Glant's not around and – Jonathan March so obviously was a guy that Jared Glant had a lot of faith in. Now March so has played well. He's on pace, obviously, to surpass twenty goals again. It's not like he's not producing. So in that regard, I don't think there's a need to get rid of him. But I'm just saying, like that would be like a home run type big splash. 
I think, move. I mean, there's some other guys like, I mean, maybe Kyle Palmieri is available in New Jersey. I don't know that it was something that Ray Shiro had said, like, no, we're not interested. But maybe that's something that they go back to. I don't know. There was a name in Nashville that that I kind of thought of, too, that he would be a rental, but Craig Smith is a pretty consistent 20-goal scorer. He's a guy that you, like, plug and play on your third line. Doesn't make a whole lot. I don't think he would cost a whole lot. So I, I think it just depends on how big of a swing that you're talking about Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee want to make and then what I think they can also pull off in that regard. And then if we're talking about defense, like I'll throw a whole bunch of names at you guys too. But but I, I just want to point out real quick on, on March or so because we've talked about it before, I think here right after the, the deal was made. To me, whatever deals potentially could have been in the works for March or so were absolutely stopped by Galen, who that was his guy, and he didn't want him going anywhere. So I, I think there would be much more openness – to moving him, if if the pieces were right, I don't think they're gonna go out there and try to shop him. But if if something came into play where a team was like, "Hey, we want him," and they could make a big, you know, swing for the fences, as you talked about, um, th- I think that is more in play now than it would have been had Gallant still been around. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely something to at least keep in the back of your mind. Like I'm always curious as to how kind of that complicated roster surgery, how feasible that actually is. At the trade deadline, it feels like this is the time of year where we all talk a big game about what we expect, and then obviously what actually happens kind of comes in under that. Uh, quickly before we got it here, though, I do want to touch on briefly some names that could be thrown out uh, on defense at the trade deadline. There's obviously guys from New Jersey, Sammy Vatanen, Damon Severson, Eric Gustafson from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, we touched on Brandon Dillon last podcast of the San Jose Sharks. You know, we'll get into all of these names, I think, down the road because we're going to be talking about this for the next month. But uh, I want to ask you, Dave, if you're Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, what type of defenseman are you looking for? Are you looking for a guy to, like I said earlier, come in in your top four and make an impact, even like top, I guess, pair? Or are you looking more of a guy for your third pair and kind of upgrading that? What, uh, what are you looking to get out of it if you're the Knights? What kind of player do you think you need? So for me, I think the top priority is more of that puck-moving guy, somebody a little more offensive-minded, somebody who can you know, either skate the puck or find an outlet. That seems to be kind of the one thing that they're they're lacking right now other than, than Shea Theodore. Especially this year, Nate Schmidt just kind of hasn't been that, that puck mover. I think he's done a good job in games, but I don't think it's been as consistent. And going forward, maybe he's – you know, evolving into a little bit of a different type of defenseman. Maybe that's just kind of, you know, the evolution evolution of Nate Schmidt. You're not getting a lot of, you know, point production from him. So that that's the area that I would look at, but that's also the area that's going to be one, most costly, and then two, the hardest to probably pry somebody away. Like if you're talking about like Jeff Petrie, just, just a name, you know, Montreal, he's kind of that – you know, in that mold, and I think he's even right-handed, which would be a bonus for them because they need kind of a right-handed guy. I think somebody like Severson and Vatanen, that's part of the attraction. Also, that they're right-side guys. But I th- Petrie would probably cost you a first-round pick. I mean, Brandon Montour last year went from Anaheim to Buffalo with the trade deadline for a first-round pick and a prospect. I think Petrie's a better player. So, yes, we're talking about is it win now, you're all in, and, and all that sort of stuff. But I think there's a 
there's also some things you want to weigh here as far as do you want to give away a first-round pick for the second time in four drafts as an expansion team with maybe the understanding of risk that if this thing bombs out in the next couple months, that first-round pick is going to be a lottery pick. And you can do conditions and maybe protect it or, or do you know whatever you, you maybe have to do to you know defend against that. But anytime you're in a lottery – like you could win a lottery and this is a a draft year where you've got at least two guys that are clear one two in in Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield. Then you've got a couple of Swedish players who are excellent. There's defense like it's a pretty deep draft at the top where you know, I mean, the San Jose Sharks are like kicking themselves right now because Ottawa has their pick. Who knows what that thing could turn into? I don't think that's a I think that's a gamble that the Knights have to look at seriously and say, do we want to to do that? Or is it just more feasible to go get somebody like Dylan DeMello from Ottawa who's just a steady Eddie guy who Peter Boer is familiar with from, from San Jose. You could plug in on the third line. He can clear some people out of the front of the net, which has been an issue. Maybe it takes Derek England out of your lineup. I don't, you know, I don't know. That's obviously up to DeBoer at that point how they would want to do it. But I think that's the interesting dilemma. Like how, how much are you kind of looking to maybe mortgage your future for right now for potentially a rental or maybe somebody that you only have control over for, you know, an additional year. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch. As we've said often on this podcast before, Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee don't really deal in rentals. Usually they like to acquire players with terms. So they're not giving up assets for a player that might only be with them for, you know, 20 some odd games. But as we've mentioned, number of times on this podcast they already to be all in they yeah they have signaled that they are all in and that if they don't make the playoffs this year the finger is 100 percent pointed at them because they have by firing their coach said that we believe Gerard Glant was at least partially to blame that all comes back on them if yeah. this team doesn't make the playoffs and, and I think Dave when you were talking about you know I, I think watching the team certainly that that puck moving defenseman the guy with like kind of an offensive mentality is something that would be very beneficial, but at the same time, do you do you look and say a defensive guy, a defensive minded guy, and and as you were talking about, somebody that can clear people in front of the net, somebody that can just lock you down defensively and not worry about offense, doesn't that help your goaltending situation? Yeah, I think it would. If you ask Papa Shane, that's what he wants to see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wants to see somebody clearing out the front of the yeah. net and and all that, you know, moving so guys from the blue paint. Too many it's not exciting. goals. It's not exciting, but as we talked about, if you, if you have issues in goaltending, and they, they clearly do right now, even if people don't want to hear that, if you have that issue – then a, a defensive-minded guy is somebody that can help that, and and you can help your goaltending without changing your goaltending. And then you're looking at things like, okay, what would it cost to give up? Well, they've got a bunch of second-round picks. Maybe it's something that you can you know do for like a fourth-round pick. You know, it's it's a re, it's a much more reasonable price tag on on a guy like that as opposed to you know those high-end rentals that are going to cost you a first-round pick. And in this year, with with the way things are going, and they're teetering right now as a bubble team. You know, I don't know if they want to give up a first round pick for a guy that, especially if he's a rental, you know, somebody like Vatanen, who might not re sign with them. We will see how they decide to play it. One thing that I think is interesting to keep in mind with that discussion is I thought Shea Theodore and Braden McNabb played really well together down the stretch last year when they were paired together. So if you could find a quasi Braden McNabb on the left side to pay with Shea Theodore and just kind of roll with Schmidt McNabb. Theodore and insert defenseman later as your top four that 
might be something that's amenable to them. We will see. We have a lot of time to keep discussing about it, keep you know, getting into more specifics in terms of what their options are, who will be available, who we think the Knights might target. So make sure to stay tuned to this podcast, the Golden Edge podcast. Also make sure to stay tuned to ReviewJournal.com where, like I said, we've got all sorts of coverage coming at you. Dave will actually have a piece later today exploring some of the specific people that the Knights could end up going after. So make sure to check out all that stuff. Like I said before, like, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you for listening. For Dave, Shane, and Adam Hill, I'm Ben Goats. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.